Well, this morning we're going to continue uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 15 and 16, uh, as we look at part 2 of praying for others. And if you remember, uh, as we uh, took a look at uh, verse 15 a couple of weeks ago, uh, Paul has uh, come forth, and because of hearing of the faith of the Ephesians uh, in the Lord Jesus, uh, not a faith in themselves, but a faith in Christ, a faith that is uh, a, a testimony to the salvation that they have in Christ Jesus, that they have a love toward all the saints. And I told you as we think about this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that it produces not only a love for God, first and foremost, but a love for others. Uh, And then Paul, as we took a look last time in part one of praying for others, uh, because of their faith, because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he was able to thank the Lord for what he not only saw and heard, uh, but something that he gives testimony to even in his own life. We took a look at how Paul prayed for many of those under his care last time, uh, what the Lord Jesus prayed uh, when he uh, was praying for his disciples. Uh, And we finished out last time with why should we pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And I gave you five things to consider. Uh, First is that we're commanded to do so. Second, that prayer is a powerful weapon in our armor. Third, that prayer uh, reveals our love one for another. Fourth, prayer gives us the opportunity to do good. And then finally, prayer gives us help in time of need. Uh, And so all of those things, as we take a look at the importance of praying for one another, uh, today we're going to take a look at some of the major hindrances to our prayers. Uh, Because there are things that we can do, things that we uh, find uh, in our Christian walk that will hinder our prayers And the scripture is not silent on this subject uh, at all. As a matter of fact, I only picked seven uh, major hindrances to our prayers, uh, and I know there are countless more. And so this morning, as we continue on in our study and wanting to be those that uh, have a heart for God and a heart for prayer, uh, which will give us the time for prayer, uh, let's take and consider... uh, some of these hindrances to our prayers so that we can avoid them and ask God through his spirit to give us victory over them so that our prayers won't be hindered, uh, not only in relation to our walk, but also in relation to those that we have the privilege and joy of bringing before the Lord in prayer. So the first one uh, might be the the simplest as far as uh, being able to identify. If I were to have you raise your hand and ask, what do you think Uh, a major hindrance to our prayers uh, is, this would probably be the first one that everybody would think, uh, and that is unconfessed sin. Uh, And the scriptures uh, in the uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verse 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, just like sin, uh, you know, back in the, the Garden of Eden, just like sin in our own lives, sin is a, uh, an active rebellion against God. And yes, uh, unbelievers have an active rebellion against God. That's their, their, their nature uh, that they are given through Adam, but also by choice. And even believers, and I need you to hear this, even believers can have sin hinder so that God does not hear you when you pray. And so one of the things that we need to do is to see that sin, even though our sin is paid in full, 
because the Lord Jesus Christ shed his precious blood on Calvary so that we are righteous as he is righteous because he gives us his righteousness. He clothes us in it. It does not mean that we are sinless. That means that uh, uh, we are taken care of in relation to our sins, past, present, and future, being paid in full by Christ's blood. But there is a walking with God and abiding with God each and every day. And so the thing is, we are a moment away from choosing to sin or to obey. Uh, and the question is, is which, which one do you do? Sometimes you do give in to your sins. You give in to temptation, and guess what? That creates a separation between you and your God. Uh, in the book of Psalm, uh, Psalms, uh, ver- or chapter 66, starting in verse 16, Psalmist uh, states it this way. He says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. Verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So even the psalmist is giving testimony to the fact that if he had a cherished iniquity, so in other words, if he had sin that was unconfessed in his life, that even though he is desiring to have communion with God in prayer, that unconfessed sin is a hindrance. So much so that he says that, you know, as we look at this verse, uh, that he would have not listened. The thing is, is when we come to God in prayer, we want to be able to commune with God, but we cannot come on our own terms. We have to come to God on his terms. And his terms is, is that if there is sin in our life that is unconfessed, then we need to confess that sin so that God hears our prayers, so that God listens to our petitions. You know, John Bunyan said it this way, and I think it's uh, pretty profound. He says, prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. They're intertwined. They worked, uh, you know, uh, so that if sin is part of our life, then that is going to cause us to cease from praying. You know, and sometimes we wonder, well, why doesn't God hear me? Why isn't God listening? Why isn't God answering my prayer? Well, sometimes it may be very simple. The fact that you have sin and you're coming to God and not confessing that sin. Uh, And so you need to make sure that you come to God rightly and make sure that you do not have unconfessed sin so that your prayers are not hindered. Well, second is a turning away from God's word. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, in wisdom literature, it says in verse 9 of chapter 28, If anyone turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. See, what is the law? Well, the law is spiritual because the law comes from God. Uh, And that law is what shows us that we are sinners. And if we turn away from God's law, if we turn away from God's word, that word which is sharper than any two-edged sword, that word which can, you know, divide to the the separation of, of soul and spirit so that we can, you know, benefit from God's truth transforming us, If we ignore that, then even our prayers become an abomination before God. Because we're assuming that just because God's there and because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin, that we can come to God with unconfessed sin. 
or when we're not spending time in his word. And all of a sudden, we're wondering why things are falling apart, why things are, are not the way that we would like them to be. And so the thing is, is a lot of times we can find that the troubles that we have, you know, in living the Christian life are based in unconfessed sin and not spending time in his word. Because the thing is, is that if we spend more time in his word, then guess what? We're going to see our sin as God sees it. And what's going to happen is, is because we see God or see our sin as God sees our sin, then we're going to confess it to him. We're going to want to be cleansed so that there's no, no barrier, no hindrance, no impedance before us and God. Because we don't want God to turn his ear away from us. Uh, we want that communion. We desire that communion because we are now spiritual beings. We were physical in nature, you know, living for the flesh. But now we, uh, you know, have been made spiritually alive. And so God's law should be something we desire and we see the importance of and making it part of who we are so that our prayers are not an abomination before the Lord. Third, which ties into uh, what we've been talking about in relation to unconfessed sin and, and not being in God's word is living according to the flesh. Because it's either one or the other. Either you're living for God or you're living for the flesh. Uh, and th the thing is, is that if we live according to the flesh... Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the thing is, there, there is a sense in which when we are living as if God's word does not matter, or that we're not spending time in God's word, you know, each and every day reading it, you know, meditating upon it, taking it in, making it part of who we are, because that is God's revelation to us. It's God's truth, which will continue to speak uh, into our lives and change us. But if we're living contrary to that, then we're actually living in hostileness uh, towards God. Uh, and we should not. Uh, Paul, in, in the chapter just before, in chapter 7, which some wrongly state that Paul wrote this when he was not a believer. Uh, I'm here to tell you that Romans chapter 7 is Paul speaking of the battle between the sinful flesh and the new spiritual uh, man that he has become because of Christ. He says, for the good that I want, because remember, we don't want good apart from Jesus. You know, the good that we want comes out of a desire that the spirit puts within us to do that which is good and right and just. He says, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. And that is someone speaking who has been transformed, who sees the difference between good and evil, that has a desire for that which is good as opposed to that which is evil. But the battle still rages. You know, and I, I've shared this before, the, a pastor, a mentor, friend of mine always asked the question, am I winning the battle of the trenches? For me to realize that, that, that every day is a battle. Every day you have to put on the armor of God. Because the tempter is always there. There's always going to be temptations that are going to come. That you're going to either have to, by the power of God, with the armor of God, you know, uh, be able to stand up in the strength of God. And to fight those things uh, that do not please God. 
Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And let me say this too, because a lot of times when we think of the flesh, we immediately go to sexual things. And I think that's, you know, just engineered into us because of our culture. But see, when we think about this, you need to realize it's not just sexual things it's that are part of the flesh that, that is hostile towards God. We're not going to take the time, but if you go to Galatians chapter 5, there's a whole list. I think it's like 14 things that are in Galatians chapter 5 that are things that are characteristic or evidence of the flesh. And then it, and, and, he, and basically leaves it open-ended uh, that there are and, uh, and other things. Uh, so there is a lot of things that we can do that are hostile towards God. There are a lot of things that are part of the flesh. Something as simple as being angry for the wrong reason, which may not be simple at all to you. But the fact is, is that even being angry is showing hostility towards God. So we cannot live according to the flesh. Otherwise, it will hinder our prayers. Fourth is selfishness. James chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. First uh, John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And that's the key in there, you know, that, that the, the verbiage there is, is there for a reason. Because we have a lot of times, you know, the tendency to come to God in prayer and asking God for what we want not saying your will be done. And the thing is, is that's part of, you know, the, the sinful flesh wanting things that maybe are not the very best for us. And maybe God knows uh, something that we don't because he sees the beginning from the end. And so that's why in the model prayer that we saw in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, part of that is, is, is praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, because if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So in other words, it cannot be selfish in nature. Verse 15 says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So in other words, there's confidence when we do ask according to God's will, uh, and we can know without a shadow of doubt that when we say, God, I know you know the ins and outs of this. This is what I would like to to have happen, but I know that you know more than I do. And, and God, I'm giving this into your hands because I know that you're going to only do that which is good because that's because the only one who is good is God. Um, and we have a prime example of, you know, putting aside anything that could be considered selfish or at least in seeing, uh, you know, God's will being done. You know, Jesus you know, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And see, that's the balance there as we, we come to, to God in prayer. It's okay to pray on what's on our heart because, you know, we are, you know, uh, emotional beings, we, we do have, you know, emotional contact with people. It's hard to see our loved ones suffering. But in the same token, if we, uh, you know, only pray for what we want to have as a desire out of that situation and don't pray but as you will, then we need to uh, see that that can be selfish in nature and we need to be careful to make sure that we're praying rightly. Fifth, 
an unforgiving spirit. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, the thing is, one of the things that can be considered an unconfessed sin is when we are unwilling to forgive someone who has hurt us, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. The thing is, is that the, the, the command here is to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And, and here is the, the lens through which you should look at this. As God in Christ forgave you. So there's no scenario, there's no set of circumstances that you can put forth to God that is going to convince God otherwise. You need to forgive because God has forgiven you in Christ. And at the moment that you think that, well, you, you don't understand how hurtful this is, look at the cross. Because we've hurt the God who made us because we were in active rebellion against him. And he still sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die. And so just as he forgave you in Christ for salvation, you need to forgive others in Christ, no matter what it is. Give them over to God. Let God be the judge. Sixth, a lack of faith. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let uh, him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. This is speaking in relation to us asking God for wisdom, wisdom from above. If you remember, as we looked at the book of James a few years back. And the thing is, is as we go to God asking him for his wisdom, we are to ask him knowing that he is the one who will generously give without reproach. That we ask in faith and not doubt. If God says he's going to do something and we come to him rightly for the purpose of him giving something that he said he would give us, if we come to him in a right manner, then we need to believe that God's going to do it. Because it's based on who God is and not who you are. So a lack of faith can be a hindrance to our prayers. And last uh, is conflict within our homes. And I appeal to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, where it's speaking to husbands in, in uh, verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, the thing is, is that our relationships, you know, even within our home, the relationships that we have on a horizontal level, and in particular, as God takes a look at the, the marriage covenant that is made between a man and a woman, that there are things that God is expecting the man to do, that he's commanding the man to do. And part of that is, is to, to, uh, to live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, uh, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. Because there's neither male nor female when it comes to salvation. It doesn't erase our gender or who we are. But the fact is, is that we are all sinners in need of salvation. And so uh, when God looks at 
uh, as me as a, uh, a male and, and my wife as a female, uh, he sees both of us as those in need of salvation, uh, both on a, a, a level uh, field of, 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 of a need of salvation. And so it says here to do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. So if I am not honoring my wife the way that God has commanded me to, or even taking it to another scripture where it says that I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church. If I'm not doing that, then what I'm doing is I'm being disobedient to God's command, which is unconfessed sin and therefore is going to hinder my prayers. And so we see the scriptures coming together here in multiple places, both Old Testament and New Testament, giving testimony to the fact that we need to make sure uh, that our sins do not separate us from God, and particularly in relation to prayer. Uh, and this principle here in relation to men and their prayers being hindered is, is not just men alone. Because, you know, as you take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, you know, as we think about the marriage relationship, you know, men are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And wives are commanded to respect their husbands. That doesn't mean that a wife is not supposed to love her husband because she is. It doesn't mean that a, uh, a husband is not supposed to respect his wife. He is. But there's things that God commands us to do within that. And the thing is, if we're not doing what God commands, if we're not living according to his design for marriage and what that's supposed to look like in that relationship, of two redeemed individuals in a marriage covenant, then guess what? That is going to hinder prayers. And I'll take it even a step further uh, in relation to that principle, because I'm not going to leave the kids out of this. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So any uh, children that are here this morning, whether you're a teenager or on down, the fact is, is if you're not obeying God, and as it says here, you're supposed to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. If you're not living the way you're supposed to as a, a, a child of God, then guess what? That is going to hinder your prayers because that is unconfessed sin. So all of our relationships, uh, you know, have an effect uh, on our prayer life one way or another. So what are some, some major hindrances? Unconfessed sin, turning away from God's word, living according to the flesh, selfishness, an unforgiving spirit, a lack of faith, and conflict within our homes and our relationships there. And let me share a quote from Martin Luther because I really like this. I came across this this morning, actually, uh, in relation to the relationship between a husband and wife. Uh, it says, Let the wife make the husband glad to come home, and let him make her sorry to see him leave. I think that's a, uh, Martin Luther said that, and it's, it's pretty profound. But again, it gives testimony to that, those right relationships. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but you know, uh, by God's grace and his mercy, which we sung about today in relation to salvation, can also be effective within the marriage covenant. Uh, and so make sure that there's not conflict within the home because it will hinder your prayer life. So um, for the last few minutes we have together this morning, I'd like to speak to powerful and effective prayer. Because we've, we've looked at some hindrances, um, so how do we have powerful and effective prayer? I'd like to begin by reading a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
He says, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. See, prayer is an important aspect of our lives as believers. Because remember, it's communion with God. We're coming to God and saying, God, you mean this much to me. God, I recognize that you have saved me from my sins and that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, took away my sins and they are as far away from me as the east is from the west. That, Father, that the only way that I can get through what I'm experiencing right now is by having your wisdom to know how I should proceed, whether I should go to the left or to the right, if I should say, you know, straight and narrow, uh, whatever the case might be. When we come to God in prayer, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, he says, beyond question, any question, it is the highest activity of the human soul because we are communing with the living God. So the first thing for powerful and effective prayer as we look to engage in the highest activity of the human soul is to pray in Jesus' name. And this is important because what we are recognizing is the power in that name. We are recognizing the second person of the Trinity. We're recognizing Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and the Son of Man. In John 14, 13 through 14, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is not a blank check for you to come to God in Jesus' name and ask whatever you want. That's not what the scripture is, is teaching. The thing is, as you keep the whole of scripture together, you remember you're praying according to God's will. And the thing is, is you, when you're invoking the name of Jesus Christ, you're saying that, God, your ways are better than my ways. Your thoughts are better, higher than my thoughts. And so when I'm you know, coming in the name of Jesus, I'm saying that I'm agreeing that your will is better for me than my will. And so when you're coming, you're coming in for the purpose of recognizing the power of Jesus' name. A name that is above all names. A name that every knee will bow before. Because he is the son of God. And he did, in obedience, go to that cross. So that you and I have the ability to commune with God in prayer. So when you pray, pray in Jesus' name. And you'll notice as I close out my prayers, I always pray in Jesus' name. Because we're, we're, we're asking the Son of God who gives us the ability because of his righteousness to come into the very presence of God. Second, pray with a right heart. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's a right way to come to God in prayer. You've got to do it God's way. Because otherwise, all you are doing is, you know, throwing words up into the air around you. They're not going any higher than the ceiling in the room in which you're in. And even if you're out in the sky, they're just going everywhere. The thing is, you need to come to God rightly with a right heart. Because God's eyes are on the righteous. Because you remember, they've been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we pray... We pray in Jesus' name, and we pray with a heart that is right with God. Realizing whose presence you're coming into. You know, it talks about us coming confidently into the, the throne room. That's not arrogantly 
confidently because of Christ, remembering that this is God Almighty. You're talking to the God of all, the creator God. That's an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome thing altogether to be able to pray that way, to pray to God. His ears are open to our prayers when we pray with a right heart. Third, pray with a thankful heart. Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And you'll notice that as I read last time, Paul often, you know, I, you know I give thanks in remembrance of you in my prayers. Okay? We need to be thankful when we come to God in prayer because thankful for the fact that we are a son or daughter of God. To be thankful that we can come and commune with God in prayer. To be thankful that we have a right heart now that we didn't have before Christ. To be thankful for the fact that that God knows us better than anyone does. And that he is there through the power of the Spirit to encourage us when we need encouraging, to lift us up, to to give us his strength to be able to stand. And when we sung this morning, and when we fall, we fall on him. See, all those things coming together, and we need to be thankful. What a privilege it is to come to God in prayer. There's a song about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Ken says yes. So my memory is as well. So the thing is, be thankful when you come into prayer. Don't discredit it. Don't minimize it. It's a privilege and a joy. Fourth, pray passionately. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel in his prayer for his people. Again, this I think is reflective of even Paul as he prayed for the people under his care. But listen to what Daniel says in chapter 9, starting in verse 3. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So in other words, he was humbling himself to the point of, you know, calling out to God with a a broken, humble, contrite heart. Because he, he was coming Uh, as one who has the privilege of coming to God in prayer. Verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenants and steadfast love, or keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Do you see the passion in that prayer? Do you see Daniel just opening up in the presence of Almighty God? And what does he do? He made confession. He wanted to make sure that there was nothing there that was going to keep him from being able to commune with God. And in part of that confession is acknowledging that you did wrong in God's sight. And he is, is you know, speaking to God, uh, you know, as a, a bearer of the people. You know, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened. You know, that could be said about us as well. Because from time to time, don't we sin and do wrong and act wickedly and rebel against God's law? and God's word and need to confess to God because it tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. So pray passionately and finally pray persistently. 
Luke 18.1 is the section there in relation to the persistent widow. And as uh, Jesus tells them, it begins there in verse 1, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. If you're praying rightly before God, if you are praying in Jesus' name, if you're praying with a right heart, if you're praying with a thankful heart, if you're praying passionately before God, keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Just like the persistent widow who ended up wearing down uh, an individual that finally had to listen. Uh, but the thing is, is that we ought to pray the same way so that we don't lose heart. Because sometimes we can come with God, to God and praying for the salvation of a loved one is not a prayer that falls on deaf ears because God is compassionate and long-suffering. So how should this inform our lives today? And I'm going to close with an, an old hymn. I bet you a hymn that even our worship team doesn't know. And I didn't bring it forth because I didn't want them to try and have to sing it. But William Cowper uh, wrote uh, many hymns. Um, he was a, a, a poet. Um, and he wrote this in 1779. So just uh, when our nation was very, very, very young. And in two of the, the uh, actual uh, verses, I couldn't think or at the course stuck in my head, he speaks to prayer. Notice what he says here in, in this particular verse. He says, prayer makes the darkened clouds withdraw. Prayer climbs the ladder Jacob saw, gives exercise to faith and love, brings every blessing from above. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. It's funny, we don't really speak that way. We don't, we don't talk that way. But the thing is, is that Satan is trembling when the weakest saint comes to God. Because that saint is saying, I trust God. Above all, I, I have a right heart and a thankful heart, and I, I want to see God work not only in my life, but in the life of the ones that I'm bringing to him in prayer. I believe that God's going to do what God's going to do, that his will is better than my will. And when the, the weakest saint, whoever that is, the saint that's struggling the most with sin, when they are willing to humble themselves before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, God, I need you every hour of every day, like we sung this morning. Satan does tremble because he knows that he has not one retort that he can do to the God of all. He even has to answer to the God of all. He is a created being. The thing is, is that we, when we gain and we tap into that power that we have in prayer, watch out because God may answer your prayer when you least expect it. So praying for others is important. We need to do that. You need to be praying for me as your pastor, as your brother in Christ, and I need to be praying for you as my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who God has given to me to be a shepherd over, Christ being the head and the cornerstone. We need to be spending time in prayer because we live in an evil world. 
and God hears the prayers of the righteous, but he's far from the wicked. It's a refuge for us. So don't ignore it. Don't forget about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's another song, by the way. Let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of prayer. Thank you that we can come to you and talk to you in prayer all the time, that you neither sleep nor slumber, that I don't have to worry about catching you unaware. You even know the words before I speak them because you know everything. You know why I do what I do. You know what is the very best for me at any moment, no matter what decisions or choices I've made. And so, Father, Lord, as we seek to be good stewards of the, the gift of prayer, uh, that we have the, the ability and the right to come into the very throne room, your throne room, all because of Christ. Lord, may we enjoy that. May we never cease in uh, taking advantage of that whether things are good or whether things are not so good. May we be people of prayer. Because the prayer of a righteous person is effective. Because a righteous person will pray according to your word, will pray with a right heart, will pray with a thankful heart, will pray passionately, will pray persistently. Because they want to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven, not in everyone else alone, but also in their lives as well. And so, Father, let your will be done in my life, the lives of each one that is in earshot of me today, even those who do not hear this sermon. May your word, which tells us to come to you in prayer, may they do so all the more. As the days are evil and wicked, because we need you each and every hour. In Jesus' name.